0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Harmful Habits podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amin, and in this episode, Jamisa, Ben, and I talk about the triune brain theory. We will be recording episodes of this podcast live most Fridays at noon on TikTok at Healing Harmful Habits, so be sure to tune in and join the conversation and ask us questions as we record. We're also on Instagram and YouTube at Healing Harmful Habits and on Twitter at Ben and Jamisa. We appreciate everyone who supports us on any or all of these platforms. And now, as always, and without further ado, the one and only our guy, Elevation Beats.
1: started so how you like the new setup
2: it's an adjustment i like it i don't have headphones mm. i like hearing myself
0: i mean how are you this week pretty good pretty good can't complain it's been a usual normal week been to any white supremacist rallies recently i had to miss
1: out i had work mm. Mm. someone needed to help him with their left and right rhythm
0: <laughs> so far that was it. so
2: funny when I saw it, like, you haven't seen this to I me? Mean?
0: Uh-uh, not yet. I saw one of them that you posted earlier this week. Is it the same well, route? You just didn't see them in general, though? Uh-uh.
2: Oh my gosh, hilarious. I'm trying to move this over. Is that better? Yeah. It's okay. Good. It's all good.
1: But when you look at me, are you going to talk away from the mic?
2: I am not Benjamin Motley.
0: <laughs> all right. Go ahead, I mean, you're about to say something. I don't remember. Oh, marching. Yeah. So you guys saw the march in person then? No, it's just all over TikTok. Oh, well then, yeah. I I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I don't follow along with white supremacists very often. Hmm. (laughs) Graduate of Trump University talking about he doesn't follow along with white
1: supremacy.
2: have you been, Ben?
1: We live together.
2: I haven't seen you since like 7 o'clock this morning.
1: (sighs) I'm okay. My side chick was a little under the weather today, so I've been trying to help her feel a bit better. So, triune brain, Jamisa. Do you remember the old triune brain? I think so. Right. What are the three parts? What are the tri-aspects of the triune brain?
2: Isn't it um, emotional, cognitive? What was the other one?
1: So you have the automatic. Automatic. Or survival part of the brain. So the, the automatic. The stem. Mm-hmm, the brain stem, sometimes called the. Reptilian brain mm-hmm. They teach you that in med school, I mean, before you got kicked out?
0: No, but at Trump University They taught me about reptile people Little <laughs> lizard people <laughs> Oh, Lord
2: <laughs> I can't
0: You're a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so
1: um, You got the brain stem The survival part of the brain This controls everything That keeps Jamisa alive When she drinks so much that she passes out So this includes a heartbeat, body temperature, respiration. Um, So Jamisa, you should be a big fan of the reptilian brain, keeping you alive despite your alcohol consumption. Um, And so this is a really important part of the brain. It's the first part of the brain to begin functioning. Mm -hmm. I imagine it's the last part of the brain to end functioning. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to edit some of our medical information as we proceed (laughs) through today's lesson.
0: So far, so good.
1: All right. And then you have the emotional part of the brain that actually physically wraps around the brain stem. So if you imagine like your arm and then the emotional part of the brain, the limbic system wraps. Well, we spend
2: so much time. Mm -hmm.
1: And then the third part of the brain is what we call like the planning or the thinking Mm -hmm. part of the brain. And often referred to as like frontal lobe, executive functioning, those kind of names. So three categories, survival, feeling, thinking. Um, or reptilian, mammalian, human. Um, you can It gets broken down a number of different ways, but typically people come back to those three categories.
2: Yeah, I think survival, emotional, and thinking is a good.
1: All right, we'll, we'll stick there. Um, the emotional part of the brain, we often talk about being the accelerator. So it drives you towards things you like. So like, Jamisa, when I get out of the shower and you're like, oh, my God, I want to jump this man. <laughs> Um, that would be the emotional part of the brain, accelerating you towards me. And then, when you see any, I'm ev- so
2: glad that you like feel so strongly about yourself. I do. You,
1: and everyone then should have
2: this type of self confidence.
1: When you see other men and you're just repelled by them, and want to get as far away from them as possible because they don't meet up to your masculinity standards that you've become used to, that is also the emotional part of your brain. But I think a better way of understanding that acceleration is really. Are people making comments to I me? Mean? Yeah, you're
2: so much. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I think Jesus. a better way of understanding nice. this part of the brain is think about food. So, like, Jamisa, what's your favorite type of food?
2: Oh, um, any pasta. All
1: right. You like the pasta with the bacon, right? And
2: oh, the so, Parmesan bacon, cheese, Parmesan, garlic. cheese, lemon juice, mm-hmm. mushrooms. Arugula. Arugula, arugula. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Continue.
1: Um, so... Imagine that food, right? What does your emotional part of your brain start Just doing? Feels even as you comfort,
2: think, oh, comforting. I want some of it tonight.
1: Yeah, so that's attraction, right? It's mm-hmm. accelerating you towards it. Now, imagine one of our kids sneezed all over that food.
2: I might still enjoy it.
1: Okay. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Spoken like a true mom. What about one of the kids takes a dump on the food?
2: Really? How is that even? That's so disgusting. Like, I mean, Uh, you can't even use that
1: as. The emotional part of the brain, suddenly you want to run away. uh, You get that? Yeah. All right. So this is really important. I want people to get very clear understanding disgust is a great emotion because it's the extreme of that. So you're upset right now because I use that example because your brain is disgusted.
2: I think we make so many decisions, right, off of this part of the brain. Oh,
1: you're jumping you're, Am I going, going too forward.
2: far ahead? Okay, sorry. I'll we s- have to get there slowly. The, the I mean, went to
1: Trump University, so we have to take our time okay. developing these theories, building these theories. All right. And then we have the brakes, which is the thinking part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So back when you were a teenager, Jamisa, and people were asking you to do wild things and you were like, yes, let's go have fun. It was because the frontal lobe wasn't developed. Mm-hmm. So you weren't thinking about the next day. You weren't thinking about possible consequences. You weren't thinking about um, the risks involved. You were just thinking about, that sounds like fun. Let's go do it. Right. As your frontal lobe develops, it creates these breaking systems, right? That says, yep, but what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? So today, like whenever I ask you to have fun and you throw in a fun grenade. and uh, was my
2: thinking part of the brain. It's like, let's mm -hmm. be rational, people. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And so the fun grenade goes off and you come up with all these reasons why fun should never be had in the household. Correct.
0: I completely misunderstood fun grenade. I thought it was like a grenade filled with confetti or something.
2: No, he's telling me that I'm like the fun vacuum, the fun (gasps) grenade. Um, (coughs) You're so insulting. So my fun grenade is the frontal, my frontal lobe kicking in.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. And you start thinking about reasons why this
2: is so like, why am I getting, I've had a tough morning And now being insulted. Tell us about your tough morning. No one wants to hear it. I just asked you. Don't worry about it. Continue.
0: Wow. You see this, Amin? I don't know what I'm seeing, but yeah. The
1: cry for help, the reciprocation to the cry for help, and then the dismissal of the support. Hmm. It's an age-old pattern. Continue. All right. So the brakes, the frontal lobe of the brakes, the emotions of the accelerator. This is really important. To just understand that very basic premise before we go any further, now, what part of the brain you is the biggest priority out of those three? I mean any thoughts? Mm, the survival oh, absolutely right? So that's why if your brain this is kind of a bad metaphor, but I think it helps out explain let's say your brain has a limited amount of energy because jamisa has been drinking profusely, and so her brain cannot run all three parts. So first of all, it shuts down the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. It shuts down your ability to plan, your ability to um,
2: it's force predict
1: risk. And your feelings are going to increase. So you're like, she's going to want to like call that ex-boyfriend and that kind of stuff. Because suddenly like she has no brakes placed on her frontal lobe. And if she continues to drink, as happened last night, um, we're then going to get to the point where the emotions shut down too. And the only thing working in her brain is she's passed out, and it's just a survival. Um, the,
2: and the, you're still married to me and let me raise children and take them to school and all that stuff.
1: I know. I need to rethink my life decisions. Mm-hmm.
2: Where are you functioning? What part of the brain are you functioning off of? Right now? No, when you make those poor, piss-poor parenting decisions. <laughs>
1: Um, So anyway, so uh, at that point, your brain just shuts down and you just have the survival part of the brain functioning. Now, the reason that this is important is as you see people becoming under the influence of emotions, you see that same pattern happening. You see their frontal lobe starting to shut down or decrease in functioning, and you see their emotions increase. Mm -hmm. So as an example, a mean, if I were to make a mean joke about your mom, Do you notice that your emotions would increase to the point where you'd be more likely to engage in a behavior that you wouldn't typically engage in Mm -hmm. if you weren't angry yes and so i've done this in prisons before I would not recommend Have
2: you, you it. done this while in prison? Mm-hmm. Ah.
1: I can just picture you now walking into a prison making your mom jokes. <laughs> I did. And um, what I noticed, and so first of all, I asked the, the inmates if they consider themselves emotional, if they struggle with fear or hurt. And obviously they're in prison, so they're like, no, 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 I don't have any fear or hurt, anything like that. So I start making your mom jokes, and these dudes get so emotional so quick. And so I helped them understand that this is their fight, flight, free system, this is their accelerant. Um, they feel threatened by these jokes. The interesting part is, if I'm making a joke about someone's mom who I've never met, what's the real threat? Hmm. The frontal lobe would help predict that. But as soon as you've triggered those emotions, the frontal lobe's no longer really.
2: Right. And then it's just a, you're, you're reacting mm-hmm. and oftentimes irrationally. hmm
1: And so it's really interesting to start seeing that most of our decisions, most of our beliefs, most of our opinions are really held by the limbic system. Mm-hmm. But if I ask you about your beliefs, Jamisa, you're going to justify them through...
2: Well, I would tell you they're not emotional. Mm
1: -hmm. And so think about a teenager. So a teenager does something, acts out of the emotional part of their brain, and the parent says to them, why did you do that? I don't know. It's a terrible question because the teenager doesn't know because the behavior wasn't driven by logic. It was driven by emotion. Mm -hmm. So we always tell parents, right, start with...
2: How were you feeling when you'd made that decision?
1: Decision. What was the feeling that led to that mm-hmm.
2: decision? And you get such better mm-hmm. response from your team.
1: And so this is how the triumph brain really impacts families. Is if you can see how the brain brain's functioning in the other human, you can really interact with them in a much more effective way.
2: We talked about this, mean and I, um, in a group we did last yesterday um, about parents being so reactive to their teens because the teens are going, like, that's just where they are. That's what their development is. Yet the parents who have a fully functioning brain will often respond to their kids off of their limbic system.
1: hmm And so some of the results of that is um, the parent's limbic system then gets activated. hmm And they start acting more like the teenager Mm -hmm. rather than helping the teenager's brain act more like an adult brain. Right. And so if you think about this um, frontal cortex or this human part of the brain, this thinking part of the brain, it's developing a lot during those teenage years. And anything that's developing needs a lot of practice. But often, parents get so caught up in the emotional part of the teenager's functioning. Right. The
2: the teens aren't able to practice the limbic part. I'm
1: talking not the limbic, but the frontal lobe. And they end up practicing the limbic, the emotional reactivity Mm -hmm. part. And so as a parent, one of your jobs with teenagers, we'll talk about all ages today. But one of your jobs is to give the teenager's brain practice Mm -hmm. in the cognitive part of this, which means you have to help them settle the limbic system first.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: So this is why, you know, like how Amin will have like hissy fits at work and he starts stomping his feet and things like that. And you notice we first regulate him before we try to talk to him about his behavior.
2: Amin, would you like time in your office by yourself with the door closed?
1: No, ever since the incident, we're no longer able to offer Amin that. The Uh. incident.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Amin no longer has a door on his office because he keeps (laughs) slamming the door. Mm -hmm.
1: There was some door slamming going Mm -hmm. on and we had to remove the door. Yeah. um, To help him better plan future behaviors. But you'll see this. People will be upset and other people will be trying to have discussions with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So I want the both of you to pretend you've never heard this question before. And um, we'll just walk through a simple exercise. Amin, where do you keep your eggs in your home? The fridge. All right, Jamisa? The fridge. All right. Why? That's where, that's where they go. And why do we put them in the fridge? What's the goal?
2: Keep them fresh. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: And so, if you don't put them in the fridge, they're not fresh.
2: In my mind, it's not fresh. Mm-hmm. I'm with her.
1: All right. And so, I mean, if you came to my home and I had eggs sitting on the counter, I'm like, I mean, let me make you an omelet. How would you feel emotionally? I, I would feel disgusted. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I probably wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. I'm like,
2: mm, I'll pass.
1: I'm allergic to eggs. Do you feel like this is a logical belief on both of your parts? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Do you feel like it's an emotional belief? Nope. Mm mm. Right. Where's the logic?
2: Explain uh, the process to me. Well, that's what it, people shared with me. Like the eggs, when you go to the um, supermarket mm-hmm. to purchase eggs, where are the eggs? They're in the refrigerated area through the supermarket.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: then, if I'm going home, I'm then going to put them right back. And it says keep refrigerated. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So Jamisa, we used to live. On a like a hobby farm, and we had chickens, and I did not keep those eggs in the refrigerator.
2: I'm aware of that.
1: Were they safe?
2: Well, I mean, the process is different, but sure, in terms of those eggs versus the eggs that are in the refrigerator. But you didn't store.
1: talk about that when you said, where do we keep eggs? You didn't say it depends oh my on where they come from.
2: Okay, so... The eggs that I currently have, I, we purchase, I keep in the refrigerator.
1: All right, I mean, if you'd come out to our farm back in the day and there was some eggs sitting on the counter and you saw the chickens running around the yard, would you have been okay eating those eggs?
0: Probably, because you have chickens and would know what you do with chickens. <laughs> Y'all are ruining my
2: exercise. Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, th- I think initially <laughs> I'd be like, what's going on? I'd probably ask questions.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the point of this is you start to realize that we pass information on emotionally, And disgust is one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Disgust is this sense of, like, you cannot eat eggs off the counter. But for people who keep chickens, um, they do keep Mm -hmm. eggs on the counter. The only time you should refrigerate eggs is if they've been refrigerated before. Mm -hmm. You should maintain that temperature because it just extends the life of them. But you notice how many of these things in life we have these very emotional attachments to that aren't logical, but we come up with logical
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things, right?
1: Like, which side do you put the toilet paper and why?
2: Yep, exactly. It drives me freaking nuts. Interesting.
1: Like, why
2: is it under, Ben, not over?
1: And people will come up with some logical justification. Well, you see, it's just easier. It's, it's the same. It's the same, but emotionally, it feels different. Mm-hmm. And so, if you ever want to mess with Jameesa, so just come to the house, turn around all the toilet rolls, and you'll keep her entertained for quite some time.
2: Uh, and completely annoyed.
0: Do you always notice, do you think?
2: Absolutely. Every single time. I'm like, why? Who turns this toilet tissue under? No one does that.
0: Because <laughs> I'm really trying to envision what side toilet paper is usually on, and I'm struggling. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And certain people have very strong beliefs about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I
1: remember doing a group, and this guy was like, Ben, you even telling me that the toilet roll may be that way in your house makes you want to come break in and turn the toilet roll around. <laughs> so for him, even the thought of it, even it. Even just imagine.
2: makes, yeah, It I don't know. Something about that just bothers me. Okay.
1: And, um, Jamisa, if a kid has just taken a bath and um, used the towel one time, should the towel be washed?
2: Oh, my Lord. Why are you putting our business out there like that?
1: (laughs) I'm just curious.
2: Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Yes. I frequently wash towels in my house. It's something about wet towels and like, yeah, I just struggle with that.
1: So if the kids use the upstairs bathroom, the towels are able to be out there for a few days. If they use the downstairs bathroom, they must be washed straight away. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting,
2: right? It's an emotional thing. I get mm -hmm. it. There's no logic behind it.
1: And so I'm pointing out this with you, but we're all the same way. Like all of us have like 99% of our behaviors each and every day are emotionally driven. Mm -hmm. But when you bring this up with people, they will not accept it. They will not accept that most of their functioning is emotional. What parts of your functioning do the two of you think aren't emotional? Just for you individually.
2: That aren't emotionally driven? I think maybe work things for me are are not emotionally driven. I think things that are at my house, a lot of it is very emotionally driven. So I do things at my job a certain way because it's not emotionally driven. It's that these deadlines need to occur. And so I'm going to do them according to that. But what
1: motivates you to meet those deadlines?
2: true. I guess a fear.
1: Okay. Is there any aspect of your life that is not emotionally influenced? Probably not. I don't think so. And so you often see this shift, like um, people who are very interested in the brain will say we're emotional beings who sometimes have logical experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. Versus like, I think a lot of people, especially men, because they're caught up in narcissistic patterns of thinking, will tend to be like, no, we're logical individuals who sometimes have emotional. And they go around criticizing other people for being emotional, when in reality, their criticism is super emotional. The reason they're criticizing is they feel some sort of way
0: mm-hmm.
1: about other people mm-hmm. having emotions. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just kind of want to get that all that out the way to recognize we're incredibly emotional people. at least of our decisions are emotionally driven, influenced. And so when you are raising children, when you are trying to have a partnership in a relationship, you have to know how to regulate emotions.
2: Right. I think kids are probably the biggest thing, factor in like having to regulate emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think all of our, like, you know, often I use this example a lot, like when people purchase a home, like it's more so off of how we feel. Mm-hmm. versus what the house actually is. Because it may have the square footage, it may have rooms that you want, is within your price range, and you're like, this doesn't feel right.
1: And you can think about commercials on TV, right? They're all driven by this basic premise that emotions is what drive our decision-making. Mm-hmm. So they'll do like a beer commercial, and you'll have like half-dressed women um, in these luxury environments. And suddenly this dude at home is not logically thinking if I buy this beer, I'm going to end up in that luxury environment with half-dressed women. But part of his emotional brain is like, I'd like to be there. Mm -hmm. And so these beer companies know it, and these dudes end up going out and purchasing this stuff. A better example of this perhaps was the recent controversy with Bud Light where they partnered um, with a transgendered individual and people emotionally felt they could no longer drink Bud Light because it went against their beliefs. Right. So they go out and buy Bud Light just to destroy it. Which (laughs) Which is absolute asinine. But this is how we all function. Like we all function from this incredibly emotional place. And so I think the best thing you can teach your kids is that they're incredibly emotional people Mm -hmm. or organisms or whatever. And then teach them how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. But we spend most of our time teaching kids as though it's logical.
2: Well, I think what's interesting, um, just through observation, again, when mean and I were working yesterday, about like parents will react and evoke a certain type of emotion out of a kid, and then they expect the kid to be logical. And it's like, that don't even make sense. Like You're coming at them from the very emotional part of your brain, the parent, the adult, and yet you want the kid to not react in, in kind And it was just interesting to me. They're like, yeah, they shouldn't say anything. And it's like, well, yeah, you're cursing them out. Like They're like 18 years old. Like, what do you think is going to happen?
1: And so let's say we're trying to put one of our kids to bed, right? And so that's the goal. That's the logical goal that they need to get to bed by a certain time because if they don't, then they're cranky in the morning, whatever. But if the kid becomes unregulated, you now have two goals. The first is to regulate their emotions so that they then understand what it is they need to do next. Mm -hmm. But I think what you often see is when a child isn't following the directions of the parent, the parent's emotions become unregulated. Mm -hmm. And then the parent starts engaging in this power struggle, Mm -hmm. which further dysregulates the child.
2: And I gave the example yesterday, like every Saturday, you know this, every Saturday at like 11 o'clock when I start talking about chores, what happens with our youngest? He flips you off. (laughs) He probably would like to. (laughs) But he does his whole whining and it's like, whoa, 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 And I think, you know, the first few times it was like I was fussing and, and these things. And now I was like, dude, like, just go do what you have to do. And there's no need for me to engage with him when he's upstairs telling me how he can't do something that we all are fully aware that he's capable of doing. And so there's no need for me to engage with that.
1: What does the emotional part of your brain want to do?
2: My emotional part of my brain wants to go up there and be like, get this stuff done so we can move on with our day. And I want to fuss and I want to yell and I want to make him. But I know that if I go up there and I say anything to him at that point, he's going to further dysregulate. And so oftentimes what's happened over the, the last few, several weeks of us just not saying anything to him is that he gets it done. Now, is it done within probably the 30 or 45 minutes it takes for him to get his chores done on a Saturday? No, but it's still done. And so and there's no need for me to have a conversation about it. Um, and there's just, I mean, we have countless examples. I think there's an example where I've asked him, he was playing his video games. And I think I asked him like four or five times to come see me because I needed him to do something. And I felt myself getting so mad because I'm like, he is just blatantly just ignoring me. Now, I think what happens with a live of parents, like he's being so disrespectful, but he's playing a video game. He's into it. And I was like, you, I was like, this is my last time calling you. And when he came down, it, he still had consequences. I was like you will no longer, you have 24 hours without a video game because I've had to call you more than twice. But there was no fighting, and he was upset by it. But had I yelled at him, that w- that, that interaction with he and I would have gone on for 15 to 20 minutes. You would have had to come and intervene. And there's just no need for it. I was like, you know what you did, so please take your video game and put it in my bag. It goes to work with me, and you'll get it 24 hours later. And then there's no fight. But it's me, the parent, that has to recognize that I'm getting frustrated, and I don't need to react off of that, off of my emotions.
1: All right, so let's talk about how partnerships then impact parenting. So let's say you're getting stressed with the kids and I say something ignorant like, just calm down, Jimmy. (laughs) Now, um, a lot of men say this kind of stupid shit, right? Because they feel like, that's good logical advice. But it doesn't reflect the fact that you're having an emotional experience, not a logical experience. Yeah,
2: because then I'm just really going to be mad. Mm -hmm.
1: Or if you do the same to me, right? If I'm getting frustrated with something at home or something at work, and you're like, you just need to calm down. It feels minimizing mm-hmm. because you're not connecting to the experience. Mm-hmm. So you often see parents doing this, and then the guy will be like, "She's just so emotional." Listen, Jack, <laughs> your inability to connect with this is super emotional. Mm-hmm. Your inability to to not be able to sit with discomfort is super emotional. So in discussions that you and I have, Jamisa how do you feel like we navigate the triune brain well? And where do you think we make mistakes when navigating the triune brain? Like, where do we connect well emotionally during disagreements? And where do we tend to minimize the other person's experience or not connect well and go too logical? In
2: our disagreements, I think you do much better with managing the triune brain an initial, like, like your initial emotional experience than I do.
1: I would disagree. I think it's the opposite.
2: You think I do better with it? You mean in regards to our kids or you and I having a disagreement? With the kids, I think I do really good at it.
1: I was thinking the opposite
2: there, too. (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Uh, I think with you and I, you are much better at not saying everything that crosses your mind.
2: That is true. Now, my initial reaction, emotional reaction is stronger than your initial emotional reaction. Like, if I'm mad, I am mad. Like with you, and I want to then say something. But, and I think that may be the first few minutes, and you're right. And I've talked a lot about like, there are so many things that cross my mind that I can say, even when I'm in the heat of like just in the height of being upset or being angry. And I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna say that. I'm not gonna say that. Because then that would lead to us having several days of a conversation about why would you say something like that when I know I don't mean it.
1: What happens to an individual's sense of self as their emotions increase?
2: Oh, I think it decreases. You think decreases? Sense of self. Oh, you mean like, like okay, I get what you're saying, like the ego part of who mm. we are? Absolutely. Yeah, it does increase. Fight or flight increases, mm-hmm. sense of
1: self increases, concern for others tends to decrease. That's, yeah. Right? So do you think if you and I are having a disagreement, there's a tendency for us to stop looking at the partnership?
2: And what is, like, how is this impacting me and mm. why is this bothering me and why are you making me mad why are these things happening to me when they may not even be happening to me?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus what can I do right now that would be supportive, mm-hmm. caring, and helpful of the relationship? So we often use the example of three circles, right? There's one circle with you in it, one circle with me in it, and one circle with both of us in mm-hmm. it. And are we doing something that's caring for at least two of those circles, Mm -hmm. if not three?
2: Yeah. And I want to say, um, because it's something I talk about a lot with couples, is that 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 filter that you have to have that that in your brain about like, I'm not going to say this. Like It takes time to build that up. It's not automatic if you've been doing that before. But you really have to think Like the first thing that comes to our mind when we're upset about someone is probably something that is somewhat insulting. So it's like, don't let's not say that. You know, like, give yourself you a few... You often bring s- up
1: my whiteness as you get upset. Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> I can't.
1: Sentences start with, listen, Caucasian.
2: No one believes that. But go ahead. I oh, don't know, maybe... I mean,
0: do you believe that? No, not really.
2: You heard her in the
0: office. I've never said that in the, in the office. Ca- Caucasian.
1: <laughs> oh, she doesn't say that in the office? L- listen, mm. white man, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> She calls you white man, I mean? That doesn't no, seem very me. appropriate.
2: She's talking about you
1: so I think you need some cultural sensitivity training. Oh, my God. Luckily. HR. <laughs> anyway, so as we get into disagreements, people's sense of self kicks in. They need to defend themselves, all of which are not helpful to having mm-hmm. disagreements. Mm-hmm. So how do you regulate your emotions when you're having disagreements, either with me or with the children?
2: With the kids, I will... Sometimes I just, I will completely disengage with them. Like, I know when I need to st- take a step back and just take a break.
1: Is that like when they were playing in the middle of the road the other day and mm-hmm. you were inside having a glass of wine?
2: Yep, that would be it. But with, um, and it's probably, like with our youngest, like he and I can definitely like get into like these, these verbal confrontations. And so I know with him, because he's so strong, well, like, I'm just like, okay, like, it's not worth me having an argument with you. And so, and I'm saying this to myself, I won't say it to him. And so I'll just walk away and I'm like, and I will tell him like, we need to have a break. Like you need to go away, go to your room go somewhere else, but we're not going to have this discussion. And then we'll come back and talk about what the problem is. And so I do, I think I do well with him, um, with our daughter, like she, you just have to tell her to go to her room and she'll go, um,
1: she'll go regulate
2: herself. She will regulate herself. But what, what's been interesting with the kids is that I think because we've done that enough with them and saying like, Hey, you need to go to your room or I'm going to go away because we're not going to have this discussion. What I found with our son is that, and I think he only does this with me. Like he will get mad, at me because of something I'm telling him he needs to get done. And I've like really set the strong boundary. Like we're going to get this done before anything else happens. And I think in years past, he would like pitch a fit, but he will go, he'll just stop what he's doing and he just walks up to his room and he'll just be there. And then when he's, I think he's regulated himself, he'll come back down and we'll have a discussion or he'll do what I've asked him to do. Um, and I say that because I think as parents, like we all need to start putting those things. Like, we have to put that into practice. When you talk about like having a kid exercise like some emotional regulation, I think we have to be able to show. Like We have to practice that at home for them to exercise it.
1: That's one of those things right? if you don't have it, you can't give it to your kids. Mm-hmm. And so parents will be like, you need to teach my kids this. Like, we can't. Right. You have to model this in the home. Mm-hmm. Like um, our children will probably be fine alcohol consumers because of the modeling by their mother in the home. It's something that you can pass on to them and share. And they know different. The all
2: the different types of red wine. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think with you and I, um, I, don't know, I think like, I, like I just mentioned, like I will make a point to not say the first three things that have come to my mind. <laughs> I'll wait till the fourth or fifth one. Um, I'll, and then once you
1: get there, right. It's very difficult for you to pull back.
2: It is. It is very hard for me to pull back. Um, I will walk away. Like, I'll go outside. Um, I may go take a jog or I may go and just leave the house for a little while. Um, I'll tell you, like, and especially if you and I are on the phone, I will tell you, like, I'm going to stop. Like, I'm going to hang up right now and I'll just hang up the phone. Because there's no need for us to have any further conversation or engagement at that point. I'll be on the phone being I love
1: you. Yeah, well, I've already hung up. Mm -hmm. Because
2: it's like, I need to hang up.
1: Very painful.
2: And you, which part? How do you regulate kids and and? uh, I think there's a few different things I do.
1: Um, One of the things that I really enjoy doing these days is um, it's a practice called thinking about your benefactors, and I think about all the people who wish me well in the Mm. world.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And um, it may sound corny and cheesy. I, I don't know how to put this like. Into language that would be helpful to people. But basically, I picture or I think about people who wish me well. And as soon as you start thinking about these people who wish you well in the world, and they don't always have to be consistently wishing you well, they can have challenges or flare ups or whatever. But like, so I'll picture you, I'll picture the kids, I'll picture close friends who I know have my back. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, it helps regulate what I'm feeling. So that's one strategy I use. Another strategy I use is tuning into my body, like feeling my heartbeat feeling my lungs contract and expand, I picture blood moving around my body. I love doing that. And um that really helps regulate my emotions too. Um a third one that I use especially with you, I think, is I think about all the times you've been so caring and thoughtful. And so once I'm done thinking about those two events, um that typically helps me calm down.
2: Oh, very nice. I think
0: you missed the joke. Yeah, right? you missed the slight dig. Uh, said,
2: <laughs> whatever.
0: Those two events, uh, <laughs> two times you've cared. You didn't need to point that out. To me. I mean, we,
1: we were on a roll. <laughs> and so I think those are some of the main strategies I use. But all those are kind of mindfulness techniques, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think about like the sun's going to explode.
2: Oh, Lord. Now is <laughs> So this is what's interesting. This is what's interesting that you will go to like the body like the mind and you kind of drop down into your body right um, to manage those I always call them sensations of the energy that's in your body when you are upset the, that that emote the energy that we get when we are finding ourselves to have mm-hmm. heightened emotions and I can't do that and and I think it's a good way I think it's good to point those things out right where I think I would struggle to sit and what be mindful when you try to do it. I don't, I just can't like, it's almost like the energy is too much and I physically need to do something with my body.
1: Oh, okay. Like you can't sit still. At the Not time. in that moment. Mm-mm, no. So, so the energy pushes you to want to move.
2: Yes. And so to, to think about, and it's nice that you're able to do that. Um, I know think I think fiz- you really meant
1: that was nice. I mean, or was that a bit of one of those It oh, wasn't I'm glad you can do that no no, no <laughs> it's not like
2: I think it's because and I'm making a point that people have to figure out what's gonna work best for them, right mm-hmm. So for you it's going getting back into your body, thinking about things, and for me, I physically need to go do something so i I think there was a time recently that I was really annoyed, and I was like, I just went and lift weights and like I felt so much better. It was a sense of like whoo, I can just breathe now and actually can think through what it is that I need to like process
1: there's also a side chick I like to visit who's really understanding and I find that if I spend time with her I really start to calm down and feel supported and cared for again do
0: you have any strategies such as that she one of your benefactors
2: (laughs) (laughs) so soon Ben will need some place to stay and it won't be the couch here at this office because you will no longer be here you won't have a key
1: (laughs) Get kicked out of home and work. Yeah, tough life. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, what do you do for yourself when you're feeling hurt by people close to you? How do you regulate? We've talked about anger a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anger is um, one of the causes of hurt, or is the kind of consequence of hurt and fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you do when you
2: feel hurt? I um, so I want to say this, and I know you're gonna well i go into what i call my shell and uh, and i want to talk about this a bit because i think i would go into myself or like kind of like um go into my shell if you will when i was younger as a way of like safety right okay. so i would that would i would isolate and and i would just and have to process and get quiet and i must be away and that was unhealthy I think to do that because when you and I first started dating and I would do that, I would, it was almost like a a form of shutting down. And now I do it when I am hurt and I need to just be quiet and I need to be still and I need to just think, and I go into my shell to do that. And once I've done that and I've been able to, because I want to get, and I, I think when we talk about hurt, what's the, the initial emotion of hurt? It's not hurt. It's like anger and all these different things. And I need to dip down lower beyond those kind of surface level emotions. And so if I can go into myself and kind of think about those things, then I can have a real conversation with you about what I'm hurt. Like what what is, what is harmful, what's hurting. And then even be an, And even go back and look and say, is there anything that I'm responsible for Um, when that happens?
1: And I think people miss how important communication can be Mm
2: -hmm. to navigate
1: emotions, Mm -hmm. both communication with yourself and communication with someone else. So I was talking with a friend recently and she was talking about how angry she gets with herself Mm -hmm. and how much of a conversation with herself when she's hurt, afraid or angry is attacking.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: like, what? That's not going to calm you down. Mm -mm. I effing know that, Ben. (laughs) Like, it doesn't. But, like, I notice my self-talk as I get older is becoming very kind to myself. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a lot. Take your time with this.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, people care about you. And I have the space to be able to work through that with myself.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I, I know not everyone has that, like, luxury of time and space to be able to do that but I think it's really important to examine how we talk to ourselves Mm -hmm. and are we talking to ourselves as we would want to talk to a loved one. Right. And if you can do that for yourself, you can do it for your kids, Mm -hmm. you can do it for your partner. Mm -hmm. But if you are that kind of tough on yourself, it's going to come out
2: when you experience
1: emotions towards other people too. Absolutely. So I think self-talk is a a huge part of this triune brain Mm -hmm. and how you care for it. But I really do kind of like, so I have you in my life. I've got the kids in my life, and I have me in my life. And I tend to objectify myself in that sense. Like, how do I care for me? How do I care for you? Mm -hmm. How do I care for the two kids? And when I talk to my friend about that, she's like, that makes no sense to me. I'm like, you don't think about yourself as a different person than (laughs) the experience you're having about yourself? And she was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. But then as we started talking about talking to herself, being kind to herself, she's like, oh, I think I'm starting to see that now. Right. That distance between my self talk and then talking to myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important.
2: I agree. I agree. I, um, but that, I agree with the person who said that to you because it's really hard if you spent years kind of like that negative self talk.
1: How is your self talk, do you think?
2: It's gotten better. I mean, I what, still have moments where I doubt myself.
1: What? Where do you think your self talk? Is most focused?
2: Are you talking to me or me? You said to me. right now, sorry. Um, I think maybe encouraging myself, like pushing myself um, to do things that I think I initially want to doubt that I can do. So it's um, like a
1: confidence thing? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, just building confidence. And so just saying, you know, you can do this, like you have the support. And I think just because I hear other people around me that says that, mm-hmm. that tell me like you have the support. So just tap into it.
1: hmm so the self-talk comes from family, it comes from society, mm-hmm. it comes from media.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's why all that imagery stuff is so important, right? That's why systemic racism is such an issue. Mm-hmm. Because it bleeds into people's self-talk about themselves or exactly. into people's self-talk about other people. I mean, how is your self-talk?
0: I think I have a very conflicted self-talk, especially since I've been working here for the past couple of oh, years. Gosh. And, uh, you know, No, 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 it's improved oh. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, kind of like what you guys always say, and it's something I say in almost every class, it's talk to yourself the same way you would talk to somebody you love the most or advise yourself in that same way. Because what's interesting in all of our classes in, in the models where they need to give us the behavior for the predicted consequence, they're all very good. There's rarely a time we have to correct them. And so being able to do that with ourselves in these situations in the moment, I think is very powerful. So, yeah, I think my preset self-talk is quite negative, but I'll argue with myself almost and be like, no, why are you doing this? This is everything around you. This is how it really is. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is OK. You know, you're doing what you need to do. And then so and, and I do that sometimes even vocally while I talk with Chrissy. And she'll be like, you just said, like, opposing things. and I was like, yeah, initially I was feeling pretty negatively, but then I talked a little bit, and now I feel more optimistic.
1: When did the two of you feel most grounded? Or when your limbic system is most at ease? When? Mm-hmm. What type of environments or situations?
2: I think it has to be calming, a quiet, like a soothing environment. Um, I feel that way when... Um, I think when I'm with by myself, when I'm with you and with the kids, like I am probably my most grounded. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, at home or at right after with soccer. me and the kids too. I mean, at your home
1: as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the guests said they didn't have an idea that nicely self talking was an option.
2: Yes, every day.
1: But I think this idea that you can manage your self talk
2: mm-hmm.
1: tends to come later in life if you're not taught this young. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I didn't, I didn't have this growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the messages that I got growing up was about shame and me feeling bad about myself. And, not, and I don't think the people around me knowingly was like, I'm going to make her feel bad about herself. But the way that I was parented. Um what, and raised was under shame, mm-hmm. and so that was my I didn't have any other way to think about myself, and I really had to think about like I, you know I am the person that I thought I was like I really am that person, it's not this negative thing that we have, but you have to I think we have to put it into practice every single day like how do we what, how do we even practice that? you know, do you sit and meditate, do you journal, do you spend time with people who are going to encourage you? And I think that's how we rede- redevelop that. So we've
1: talked about these three different areas of the brain, the survival, the emotional, and the thinking. And we've talked about them as though they're three different parts, but they're also one organism too, right? Mm-hmm. Like the brain is one thing. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you effectively integrate these three systems into one in your life? And then how do you help raise kids with an integrated triune brain.
2: I think, I don't know. I feel like we almost have to start at the, um, the reptilian brain.
1: Right. So making sure they feel safe. mm -hmm. I think is a huge one.
2: Mm -hmm. Like going back, just dropping back down into the body. So like, is there tension in the body? How are you? How are you physically feeling? You know, and I spend so much time when I have clients coming in, and they are emotionally unregulated, um, and they want to talk and tell me about all the things that's going on. Like, I don't want I, the first thing we're going to do is tell me how you're physically feeling right now. Let's drop into the body and let's see if we can manage that before we then go to talking about the emotional part. Before we go in talking about the cognitive part.
1: And you see this with people with high anxiety, right? They they tend to be very controlling,
2: either mm-hmm. themselves
1: or other people. And then when you ask about this, they don't drop down into the reptilian system. Mm-hmm. They tend to go up mm-hmm. into the thinking system. Mm-hmm. So, oh, the reason is because blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, 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 Rather than let me slow down, let me regulate my breathing, let exactly. me tune in to my heartbeat, to my body temperature. And then tapping into that, uh, that reptilian system, uh, to that survival system, I feel like it helps regulate... The Mm
2: -hmm. others, and so it's basically was a parasympathetic nervous system. Like you need to be figure out how you can activate that before you do anything else.
1: Your rest relaxation response, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's how we help people integrate. Mm -hmm. Is you start at the bottom Mm -hmm. with survival, then move into emotions, exactly, and then once you've done those things, you can move into thinking, exactly. But you can't do it the other way around. Mm -hmm. But people try to do it the other way around.
2: Yeah, but how, how are you going to be logical when your emotions are that high? Mm-hmm. Like it just, that does not make sense. Because what we're thinking about when we are emotional, when our anxiety is high, our stress level is high, um, and I say this all the time, like, what we think is happening is not reality, more times mm-hmm. than not it's the you predictions mm-hmm but if you can if you can, if you can drop back down into the body and you can slow these things down, you can activate the parasympathetic nervous system, then what you realize is like I'm not in danger, but my mind is telling me that I am mm-hmm. I don't need to go into fight, flight or freeze yeah and when my anxiety
1: kicks up, I'll create all sorts of crazy oh things
2: yeah I like I, I feel will
1: incredibly real.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't draw I have like created narratives. Like a whole story about one thing when I feel my anxiety kicked up.
1: I think Eckhart Tolle has a really interesting story about that where he's like on a train heading to university back when he was a student in London. And um, there's someone on the bus or the train, sorry, talking to themselves. And he's thinking in his head, like, what's wrong with this person? And the people around him are like, what's wrong with this person? Anyway, so he gets off the train at the same place the other person gets off and he realizes he's heading in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And they end up at the same university again and he realizes the person's a professor. And so Eckhart Tolle is in the bathroom thinking about these things to himself. And he's like, the only difference is he's saying everything out loud. He's like, my thoughts are just as insane. Mm-hmm. but I'm able to contain them in my head. Mm-hmm. And so when we see people verbalizing their self-talk out loud, we're like, what the hell is wrong with them? Yeah, And we don't realize our own stream of consciousness, or our own self-talk is just as convoluted, is just as problematic. Um, problematic may not be the right word, but just as like contradictory, not reflective of reality So, Jamisa, let's say tonight we get home, we get into a disagreement. I'm noticing your sympathetic nervous system kick in. I notice you starting to get upset. Do I then say, all right, Jamisa, how about we focus on your reptilian system? How would that go over?
2: I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Mm
1: -hmm. So how how do you support someone else?
2: When they're getting
1: activated, how do you help them shift?
2: You can ask them what would be helpful right now. You know, what What would be helpful in this moment? And so if I say, hey, I just need you to just, like, leave me alone for a bit, then you do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell me, like, you know, if I say, Ben, what is helpful? And you're like, well, I just need to go away. Can you just watch the kids? I need to just go take a walk. Then I need to allow you the opportunity to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Rather than trying to logically mm-hmm. explain the situation, mm-hmm. trying to logically figure out, like, care for the safety part first. Right then process the emotions involved. Mm -hmm. And once you've done all that, you can then have the conversation about logic.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so we do this with our kids all the time, right? Once they're regulated, then you can have the conversation about because you were unable to do this and because we had to take time doing this, I no longer have the time to take you to X, Y, Z. Right, exactly. But you can't have that conversation until they're And then tell
2: the kid, you need to calm down. And it's like, well, yeah, that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think even with kids, I know we don't use the words like, how can I like... Yeah, you know, how can we drop you down into your body? Mm-hmm. But we may say, you know, let's go have a like. Hey, let's. The, why don't you go and you know? Let's do belly
1: breathing. Yeah, let's, let's
2: do something do, mm-hmm. else, and then let's have a conversation about it. But there's no need Our to engage. Like
1: dancing to music, mm-hmm. and so you can you can kind of shift them that way to mm-hmm. get them into their body. Mm-hmm. Like let's put on silly songs and dance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think a lot of it is just really. um. Helping them, like we have to, I think as parents of small children, of teenagers, like you have to spend so much time teaching them how to regulate this stuff. We talked about this maybe in another episode where you can't get too high and can't get too low, right? With emotional regulation, uh, regulating, and even in teaching that to our kids,
1: mm-hmm. you yeah. And so uh, I think next week we're going to talk about neurodiversity mm-hmm. and we'll talk about ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, which we have in our family. We'll talk about autism, which we have in our family. And we'll talk about kind of using everything we've talked about on this season so far in responding to different types of neurodiversity. Right. And talking about what is neurodiversity, what isn't neurodiversity, um, those kind of factors. Um, And then I think that's going to bring an end to season three. Is that
2: right? I believe so.
1: And what are we doing next season, Amin? I forget. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What do we even pay Amin for?
2: <laughs> Maybe not for this. For Do you my know what we're doing next season, Jamisa. Oh, we were back and forth. We were talking about race and as it relates to we're family. We're
1: doing a season of race: race mm-hmm. in the workplace, race at home,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and really understanding the different intersectional issues mm-hmm. of living in a multiracial society. Where did the concept of race even come from? Right. Is it a biological reality? No. And so, why was it into, introduced into culture? And what were the motivations behind it? Mm-hmm. So we'll explore all of that in season four.
2: I want to, I want to just because of our um, the class I mean, and I did yesterday, I really want to emphasize this for parents who have um, teenagers that they're raising, or any kids, like r- you have to make certain that you are the one that is going to show your kids how to emotionally regulate. Like we are constantly teaching our children. Our, our do this
1: before you have children.
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Because our home, the home that your children reside in, like that is their school. Mm -hmm. They all like that. You are constantly teaching them um, through your behaviors. And then they even have to be directed at them. Like they're constantly observing and they take those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, to get into these matches with these kids and, you know, and like I told you, I said yesterday, it's like you cannot get into these, you know, these back and forths with children or teenagers because it's not effective. And then they're like, "Well, you know, they don't respect me." And it's like, "Yeah, they're not going to respect you. Like, how are they going to respect you if you're like cursing them out?" Now, I don't mean any
1: parting words for listeners to say. Anything you learned at Trump University that you think would be helpful to share?
0: Yeah, this this race uh, season is going to be interesting. If I don't see color, but
1: mm. you know, <laughs> I'm so done with you, I mean <laughs> right. Jimmy, say
2: anything else? Yeah.
1: Tune into mm-hmm. our socials: TikTok, fate We don't know we're not on Facebook, we're Instagram. Alone. Bailey on Twitter well don't even bother never
2: mind yes I don't go on Twitter it's like two people in here I hope everyone has a good week six people I was thinking, Oh, six. Wow. hello. and have a great day